And it's time now for our usual weekly catch-up with Midweek Media Watch. And this week, delighted to have Colin Peacock with us. Hi, Colin. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Good. Very good. Thank you very much. And uh, still waiting. The little country waits, eh? No government deal. Must be wearing out the patience of uh, reporters, do you think, at this stage? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> if, if not them, then certainly some of the audience, maybe me included. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm falling into a trap here by uh, uh, doing more of this. Maybe the people at home are rolling their eyes. They know not more of this uh, government stuff. Uh, but I think it, it's a combination. I think some political reporters, patience wearing thin, sure, but they're still excited, as it now seems, seems to be getting a little closer. And tonight on the... 6pm News, News Hub uh, at 6. Political editor Jenna Lynch was saying uh, possibly tomorrow it's looking like it can't get done tonight. Um, however, you know, the, the politicians are all flying back. Stand by your tellies, she mm. said. And I really don't think that many people at home are. <laughs> uh, I think they can wait after this long. But the Stuff Live blog is still going every uh, few minutes, a new headline. And at one point saying a deal is painstakingly close, which sounds like an odd choice of word. Maybe it's painstaking would indicate it would take a little longer uh, if you're going to really put it together. But politicians, <laughs> again, flying in, photographs of them arriving at the airport, then getting out of cabs at Parliament. So it does seem like something will happen tomorrow, but who knows? But uh, as, it, as it goes on and on. But on Monday, I think when we'd had a break in the weekend and the reporters had to, there was a vibe for some of them that it was, oh, we're back to this again, uh, when there wasn't quite the sense that this was going to be imminent. Um one of those, and I'm sorry to pick on him, but RNZ's Giles Dexter on his uh, package, his report for Morning Report on Monday morning, uh, it seemed like he was already um, imagining the moment when it, it would all be announced. But the big reveal, handshakes and smiles will happen back in the capital. That would be the intention, is want to go to Wellington and do the signing ceremony. As for when that is... Again, I've been not wanting to put a time on it, and I know it's incredibly frustrating, and I, and I understand that for everybody. But again, we have some serious issues that need to be resolved. Until then, welcome to another day of ironing out those sticking points. Another day of waiting. And waiting. And waiting. He's not the only one, surely. <laughs> no, I know, but did you hear, um, I think in the middle, of, I think I could hear Ingrid Hipkiss do a big intake of breath <laughs> as she was wanting to climb in and enter before Giles said those words about we're waiting and waiting <laughs> and wait. I think she couldn't wait for to climb in and just speed things up a bit. Yeah, um, yeah so I think that is possibly telling, or probably reading a bit much into it. But it, it is interesting though, isn't it, that right at the start, Christopher Luxon told the media, I'm not going to come out every day or every time we meet uh, or propose a meeting. I'm not going to give you a blow-by-blow account because that's not the way we want to do negotiations. But now I think things have gone on so long, he clearly is having to do that. Uh, Winston Peters mm. still not really engaging in any meaningful way. In fact, he's sort of taking the mickey out of journalists when he does talk to them. Uh, David Seymour seems happy to talk and, um, mm. you know, with that bid for the deputy prime ministership <laughs> and so on. But, you know, some in the media don't seem that much happier now that Christopher Luxon is talking to them. In fact, today, uh, News Hub's Lloyd Burr put together a kind of eight-minute video mashup of Christopher Luxon and other politicians in the prospective coalition saying the same things over and over again. Uh, there was Samir Brown in there, um, Chris Bishop, David Seymour, talking about sound and stable coalitions and using the same form of words. But, you know, don't be surprised if you end up with eight minutes of these same phrases being used when you put the politicians under so much pressure yeah. uh, to say things. But 
One interesting reaction was on also on Monday morning, not long after Giles Dexter on Morning Report, over on ZB, Mike Hosking. Now, he was initially of the sort of let's leave them to it, uh, uh, you know, let the politicians do it, they'll tell us when they're ready. Uh, but he got irritated on Monday morning when he didn't get his regular media interview with uh, the Prime Minister-elect Christopher Luxon, or indeed he was also trying to get interviews with um, a couple of other ministers, including Jerry Brownlee. Ring Luxon phone. Where the hell are these people? What are they doing? They're not doing anything. How come we can't find these people on a phone? So we ring Luxon's chief press secretary. Do you know what his chief press secretary in the middle of a coalition negotiation is doing at 7 o'clock in the morning? Answer, nothing. His phone's off. Why is his phone off? Why is the Prime Minister-elect's Chief Press Secretary's phone off at 7 o'clock in the morning? Does anyone in Wellington get up before 9? Wake up. Uh, is right. that, well, that's a good question, Colin. Well, Could you I'm, please? Look, I'm, I'm up late at night here, Mel, or late-ish, talking to you, and I'll be back here in, in the morning and in the studio recording stuff, talking to people at 9am, uh, so before 9. So I'll be I, checking your timesheet. Well, I will. Yeah, let Mr Hosking know, because I'll, I'll put my hand up and say there will be one person in Wellington up late and, uh, and uh, still working at, at 9 in the morning. But he, in that case, he was kind of taking it more out on the media handler, the, the, the press secretary, rather than the politician. Yeah, yeah, he, he was actually taking it out on his own desk, if you could hear. But I think that's a bit of a trademark thing. Mm. Uh, Mike Hosking likes to give the desk a bit of a, a, a wallop, a meaty thump with possibly a rigid index finger or something like that. But uh, yeah, he, of course, the media handlers who he's having a go at there are doing the bidding of their political mm. masters. So if they're not answering their phone, uh, I mean, they've possibly got a good reason for it. But you know, I, I imagine their bosses aren't that unhappy if they're not. Uh, you know getting him on the line to talk to ZB or other media. But, you know, I think it's fair to say Mike Hosking, as I mentioned earlier, he's not doing the are we there yet routine. He's not part of that chorus. His whole line was, look, you know, give them some room. They'll do it once, do it properly. As long as it's all sorted by Christmas, he wasn't too bothered. Um, But, yeah, certainly uh, Christopher Luxon not talking to him on ZB. uh, He declared to be bad leadership. Uh, you can't make this stuff up as you go along. He's been here on Monday each week so far, and the fact he's not here this morning, I think, speaks volumes, and it doesn't speak well to him. You've got to front. I mean, you've got to be held to some level of account. You can give the standard answer if you want. You can go, I can't get into that until you're blue in the face if you want. But you can't turn up last week, and when things seemingly haven't actually changed that much, then suddenly not turn up at all. That's not good leadership. 16 2. Mm. It's actually 24 minutes too. Just yeah, for a no, sorry, yeah, dodgy time check. That was in the morning, uh, yeah, Monday morning. That was before 8 a.m. So before we make anyone uh, you know, leap out of bed and uh, fear they've got their time wrong. I heard Mike Hosking on, yes, indeed. If the negotiations really are at a sticky point, though, it makes uh, sense that the political parties would, would try and keep the media at arm's length a bit more. They've got nothing to say after all, have they? Well, no, and, and mm. clearly they're trying to do a bit of sort of collective responsibility, although, as has been pointed out, uh, one of the parties and that seems to be leaking a lot, uh, possibly forcing Christopher Luxon to say things as it goes on. Um, however, look, you know, speculating about all that doesn't really get us that much further. And I think possibly the parties involved, they're wary of the media scrutinising sort of how the talks are being done. So in the weekend, for example, we had questions about staffers being allowed to fly home for the weekend. Now, that, that appeared to annoy Christopher Luxon a bit. Uh, he just said, look, this is the price of democracy. You know, people are going to have to travel. It costs money. It, it kind of made me laugh a little bit because last week um, for Media Watch, I was at the Screen Producers 
conference in Wellington and John Campbell interviewed James Cameron, who mm. was the kind of keynote speaker or interviewee. And at one point he was arguing James Cameron very strongly for that screen rebate, you know, the, the mm. kind of tax break that uh, big productions get. And, uh, you know, when John Campbell said, look, other industries don't necessarily get tax breaks, you know, do you really deserve this? Mm. And he was ready for He had a long list of things that uh, they'd spent money on that they got a rebate on. And one of them was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Air New Zealand flights that they made. So he made... The, the spending of money on flights sound like a great deal for the taxpayer because they spent more and the, there was more rebate. Uh, mm. So it's kind of funny that the, the the political master of the country was being hauled over the coals for you know, piddling a few flights from Auckland to uh, Wellington. Yeah. Um, but that question of what actually does need to be done face-to-face by the parties in these negotiations or over the phone uh, also came up um, on in the weekend. This was addressed by Christopher Luxon, I think, on Sunday uh, in a stand-up press conference like this. There just might be a depth of conversation you want to get to that's easier done in person uh, across a table, you know, around a table than it is actually doing it through the telephone. Um, equally, there's a lot of other things that are quite transactional and quite straightforward that we can resolve through a phone or require us to, you know, go away and do some work respectively uh, and we brief that in together and then we go off and do that work. Yeah, so uh, a bit of a moot point on Monday and early Tuesday because of all those flights that were cancelled by fog anyway between uh, Wellington and Auckland thanks to the weather um, here in Wellington where I am. Uh, But that also kind of made me smile because right at the start of the negotiations, you remember there was that stuff about... Would, had Seymour reached out to Peters and was Peters ignoring Seymour mm, and did yes. Peters leave him a voicemail? And David Seymour was quite short with the media over that, saying, look, if you want to have a conversation about how phones work, he said, I don't think that's the kind of debate that uh, New Zealanders want to hear, do you? We're doing serious business of putting a government together and yet, you know, here we are all these days on with the, the Prime Minister-elect you know, having to walk media through where you use a phone and where you get together face-to-face. So, yeah, kind of funny given how uh, David Seymour was so scathing about that. Well, the media then moved on from phones to uh, Weetbix habits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. OK, obviously this is trivial and yeah, there could be some eye-rolling going out here among the audience. In fact, someone has written up, I'm not sure what it was, but former host of this program, Russell Brown, a short time ago on social media, posted a, a screenshot of somebody's story. I don't know where it appeared, I'm sorry, but it said the subheading was The Role of Weetbix, and it went through all the gags being made by the politicians about about Weetbix, and Russell just put at the top, you know, for goodness sake, please now just shut up. So, yeah, clearly his patient's wearing a bit thin. But anyway, to explain, for those not across it, uh, David Seymour earlier said Chris Luxon might have had too many wheat picks when he suddenly said an agreement was really close. He didn't feel that was correct. Luxon turned it around on Seymour uh, the next day by saying the same thing about Seymour when he'd been a bit more positive about what had been achieved. So yes, all trivial as I say, but pretty useful stuff for news stubbed reporters and presenters. And uh, among them, perhaps, uh, Nathan Narari on First Up here on RNZ, he put it to uh, Nicola Willis yesterday morning like this. David Seymour comes out and says the deal is still days away and that Mr Luxon has had too many wheat bicks. What does he mean by that? Well, you can never have too many wheat bicks, can you? Know? <laughs> I mean, I can. I, I, <laughs> I, I think they're a great start to the day and I think all of us should start with some up and go every day, rearing, rearing to go and get things done. 
Yeah, pretty hearty endorsement for sanitarium breakfast products right there. Yeah, they will not be disappointed, perhaps, unless mm. you know that turns off political opponents of this coalition. They need, the the, they need good publicity, don't they? Because uh, they, they stopped the warehouse for a while, so they need a good, <laughs> positive response. Oh, they, yeah, you've, you've opened up a whole new element of 3D <laughs> PR chess that I hadn't um, considered yeah. here, yeah. But the, uh, the Christopher Luxon initially you know, brought, brought that up, and he... But gave a massive endorsement of, of Wheatbix and it's a great product and, and so on and some have pointed out that actually you know a Prime Minister can't really be doing this they shouldn't be endorsing products at this point well he's not the Prime Minister yet so he's probably okay but once he is it would be uh, less than dignified or possibly even mm. a breach of the rules for him to um to say that, or maybe he should be saying, you know, other breakfast cereals are available or something like that <laughs> the at, same at, at, the, at the end. But it was kind of funny when Nicola Willis was saying um, you can never eat too many wheat bicks or something. And Nathan said, are you sure about that? Because, you know, in a cost of living crisis, you know, maybe if you're on a good salary, like look at Willis, you can eat as many wheat bicks as you want. Others might have to watch it, you know. So mm-hmm. sounds a bit like the sort of wasteful spending mm-hmm. or wasteful eating, you know, that um, the government had been warning about. But I'm sure Russell Brown, if he's listening, will be... Um, well, he probably isn't. He's probably turned off now. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear. So yeah, I, I suppose I can dress this up as respectable media watch content by saying this is the sort of angle media adopt. Uh, sort of, if I'm going to be analytical about it when there is so little to say. To talk these little diversions, yes. Yeah, so, they yeah. hang on to this and also, you know, the Deputy Prime Minister role, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now, the yeah. media made a lot of Christopher Luxon uh, at the start saying that he was really good at mergers and acquisitions. So... Maybe he had made a, a bit of a rod for his own back with that statement early on. Yeah, I, I think so. Although uh, on Monday morning, Mike Hosking on ZB said a lot about this, and he pointed out, uh, if, although he was disappointed that um, the PM elect hadn't uh, deigned to speak to him uh, on his Monday morning show, and they clearly planned on it, uh, Christopher Lux never actually set a deadline. In fact, was very careful not to put a time frame on things. Uh, he never said it would be quick, and I think that's. Fair enough, but one pundit who really has made quite a bit of it is the former national staffer lobbyist um, and politics commentator Matthew Hooten. Um, three on three ways, in fact, on his Herald column last Friday, uh, he really went to town on Christopher Luxon in that uh, on TVNZ's breakfast show on Monday. He um, he mocked Luxon for sort of puffing up his business skills at the start to give people confidence in, in the way he was going to handle it. And uh, then he was on the News Hub Nation show on Sunday. And have a listen to the telling pause uh, when he was asked this question on that programme last weekend. Uh, but he is a really quick learner when it comes to this stuff. Oh, oh I, OK. Po- uh, <laughs> well, I, I, well I, I don't see that. <laughs> That's a bit hard. Yeah, and uh, it was yeah. worse than vision, actually. It's his face kind of froze. He's like, how, you know, what it, what, what, how shall I respond to this? Because it was pretty clear that wasn't what he thought, but possibly didn't want to lay it on. Of course, remember Matthew Hooten, big backer of Todd Muller, uh, back when, yes. when Simon Bridges lost uh, the leadership. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. yeah. Any journalists or, or, or pundits expressing any sympathy for the, the tough task of putting an agreement together, though? Yeah, well, one one was perhaps not sympathy, but business desks, Patrick Smelly said, look, this is a bit like a pilot landing a plane. Um, there have been delays. You don't always blame the pilot, uh, the person in charge for delays, as long as they get mm. the plane down safely. And, you know, as long as you, you know, in a week's time, you're not going to remember that you were held up for an hour or two. So he says it's an irresistibly corny metaphor for an ex-New Zealand boss to talk about landing planes, you know, could still 
cartwheel on the runway or something like that. But he says, for now, it looks to be what you'd expect as a passenger, just maybe not spectacular on time. But there was some sympathy uh, from Heather Duplessis-Ellen on News Talk ZB. This is later on Monday. Uh, and this is in a chat she had with, um, with Nicola Willis. We've been harping on at you for days now for, you know, telling us how things are going. And finally you come out, you say, yep, we've struck, we've got a milestone. And they both come out and go, no, we haven't. Were you bummed out? No, not at all. I I just think that this uh, is the fact, which is that we still have to sign the deal. And as we all respect, until signatures are on those final pages, no deal is done. That is the fact of the matter. We're pleased that we've reached that significant milestone. Yeah, although we probably don't really know what that milestone is. No, no, because, you know, they won't say the substantial thing. So, yeah, that's where we are. So, you know, even after, I think, Christopher Luxon... All early on Tuesday, we're saying, look, the policy's pretty much squared away. We're just down to ministerial appointments. And then has been drawn out that, yes, the deputy prime ministership is uh, one of the sticking points. So uh, on and on it goes, you know, but today we've seen them all at the airport. Uh, Chris Bishop's laundry, you know, wearing his boss's shirt, I think, for a trip back to Wellington. Yes. I mean, we probably all just about had about as much as we can take. So, yeah, it could be tomorrow, but we'll see. But I think we're at the point where people might be thinking, even those in the media might be thinking, look, what is the worst that would happen if we didn't follow every politician out of the in and out of yeah. the airport and ask them the same questions over yeah. and over again? They might hurry up a bit. Yeah. Um, well, as long as you're at work at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, because it, it could well be that it happens tomorrow. <laughs> you never know. So don't be late, Colin. I won't be. Last time we spoke, um, I remember you ran through a list of stories about media companies going through financial woes, and you've seen a few more since then. Yeah, there were a couple actually about um, two of the companies we, we didn't mention last time. We did, we did go through a fair old list of them, didn't we? There had, yeah. there had been a few. Uh, so one was NZME, um, which is the owner of the Herald, half the country's radio stations and local papers in the North Island as well. So last week it briefed investors about its plans, Chief Executive Michael Boggs, and all the senior executives. Uh, and before that, um, the former Herald editor, Tim Murphy, he's now the co-editor at the online site newsroom.co.nz, he said, this is serious stuff. You know, NZME is going to have to explain how its gross profit is going to fall by as much as 12%, uh, its second biggest drop since it listed on the NZX um, about seven years ago. Um, he said that the firm's share price has been stubbornly low. It was at 83 cents uh, last week before the meeting, um, and they'd had a profit downgrade notice. Uh, so, you know, not great in the, in the long run of things, although it had been doing better of late. But he said the share market had a notice last week that said anticipated lifts in ad revenues for August to October um, hadn't happened. Um, the two biggest months of the year, November and December, he said, are, are not forecast to meet the expectations. So, yeah, not great. Sounds a bit bleak. Is it serious? Well, yeah, could be could be a blip because uh, after the briefing, a very different account from the Herald's um, former editor and now editor at large, Shane Curry. He writes um, a weekly column called Media Insider uh, for the Herald, and uh, look, he was much more rosy after the briefing. So he's he called it, in fact. NZME's open day for investors, which sounds a lot more fun. Uh, but he said that this uh, a three-year strategy was unveiled by the chief executive, uh, a blueprint not just for stabilising earnings, but for really expanding and growing on what is now a digitally focused growth business. So of course, they've got their radio and their, you know, the Herald that's been in print for, a, what, 160 years or more. Mm. Um, 
But now the digital uh, focus growth is what they're trying to get. Every media company, of course, needs to do that. Uh, and Shane Curry was saying, and of course he's lived this at the company, saying in, in 2016 investors felt that um, they weren't getting enough information about how the company was trying to push through and what was obviously you know, tough times worldwide for any big legacy media company. Uh, so he said the level of detail revealed by NZME was extraordinary. You know, Competitors, he said, will be going over what, what they've revealed to their shareholders and analysts and interested members of the public and, uh, and, and having a good look at it. Um, so he said that analysts at Forsyth Bar believe that NZME is undervalued. So... Um, you know, and then he finished by saying, certainly the market seemed to like what it heard. Shares rose by $0.07 cents to $0.90 cents on Wednesday. Hmm. So the company's own editor-at-large putting a very positive spin on it. <laughs> yes, well, OK. I mean, Accentuating the positive for sure, you know, and yeah. he is a company man. OK, but it is actually true uh, to say the company has taken decisions which make it possible for them to get a bit more of that digital revenue where it's available, because that is the growth area, albeit that it doesn't return nearly as much as old-fashioned ads in print or um, you know on, on the radio. Mm. Uh, and it did move faster than competitors to get things like the digital premium subscriptions yep. going, which really have grown and hit targets. Um, and it's also true that this was a, a, a transparent event. It was uh, quite open in the sense that a plan was presented to investors and um, you know potentially interested people, and the senior execs were open to searching questions from people about the the strategy they've put forward and the company's prospects. Now, the other media company um, that's been in the news, and this is not in a good way. Uh, yeah, so this is um, SENZ or SENS, as you call it. So that's a local branch of the Australian, uh, essentially a sports radio network, uh, sports entertainment network, SEN, as it's called in Australia. They added on the, the Z for the New Zealand branch. Mm. So that got going here. It tried to fill the gap by buying up frequencies that were effectively vacated when Radio Sport was closed down by NZME. Uh, in the middle of the COVID lockdown, they took pretty immediate action and just shut it down, uh, cut a few jobs, tried to cut costs there. They didn't think it was going to come back in the same shape um, after COVID. So that was, you know, fairly brutal. So yes, uh, the company in Australia swooped, but uh, Business Desk, uh, they have Trevor McEwen as their sports writer, very experienced senior uh, sports editor and even sports administrator in this country. He reported that the Australian media have been saying that auditors and even the company directors in Australia, the parent company, have been warning about, uh, and this is the quote here, the survival ability, a bit of jargon, um, of mm. SEN. Um, they've got a kind of maverick chief executive, this guy Craig Hutchinson, quite a, a bold businessman, not afraid of uh, you know stretch goals and buying up frequencies, having a crack and taking mm. risks. But uh, he says if Hutchinson doesn't find a fresh cash injection in Australia or uh, new investors in the next nine months, they're in trouble. Um, He also says the Commonwealth Bank over there have got uh, a lot of their debt and if they try to uh, get it repaid, uh, in Trevor's words, you know, the company would be toast. So, yeah, that's not Mm -hmm. good. Well, it certainly would be a shame if the company's problems in Australia led to the closure of the the network here. Um, I mean, is SENS performing well? Well, they've got some big names, you know, popular yeah. names in sport like Ian Smith and it was the, unfortunate for them they employed um, Brendan McCullum as a yes. bit of a star host but then he got appointed as the British cricket coach and has now become, you know, the, yeah. what is it, the the 
the king of Baseball and all that sort of yes, stuff. So yes, he, he's a bit of a miss, but they've got others in Israel. Is he dead? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they've, they've certainly given it a go and those people are still all there. Um, but um, Trevor McEwen said, look, if costs are going to be contained, no surprise if the company looks across the Tasman for savings. He, and he says, isn't that the default mechanism for most Australian firms who expand into Aotearoa? So in the media, not always, but yeah. So he, he doesn't have great hopes that they will... Um, stand by if it looks like it might lose money and the Herald Shane Carey, the media insider, uh, wrote about this in June he reckoned that um, SENS was likely to lose, so the New Zealand wing was likely to lose about $3 million this year and that's you know also the parent uh, in mm. Australia having a, a drop so that wasn't great he says um, he must be referring to surveys in the earlier part of this year an audience about 35,000 so 22nd in the mm. radio market nationally which is sort of isn't great um, he compared it to ZB which has you know Six seven hundred thousand an audience, way bigger, but a different kind of station. So whether it's doing that much better than radio sport, I'm not sure. But that, of course, was part of NZME, and mm. you know had all the sort of shared costs of being part of a big company. So it's difficult. But at that time, uh, SENZ did tell the Herald, "We've got confidence in our strategy. We're mm. committed to New Zealand, and they've got a bunch of rights. You know, they had the Rugby World Cup on. They had the Cricket World Cup just gone, and the Black Caps games. So um, they've got Warriors in our old matches. So they do have a bit to work with." Mm. Well, sticking with sport and sticking with Australia, a report of the demise of Australia's rugby boss alarmed you. <laughs> it did. Yeah, so this was the story of the chairman of Rugby Australia, Hamish McLennan. He got ousted at an emergency uh, late-night board meeting. Of course, things not going well at Rugby Australia with Eddie Jones and the Rugby World Cup debacle and all that. Now, I've heard of sports bosses, you know, often they get the axe or, you know, if they have to quit before that happens, they fall on their sword and stuff, you know, heavy imagery. But I haven't heard the situation reported quite like this as it was on Newstalk ZB on Monday morning. So Rugby Australia Chair Hamish McLennan has found himself on the wrong side of a board-level ruck. He's been rotary-hoed out the back of an emergency meeting last night and replaced by World Cup-winning wallaby Daniel Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing it all day, Ref. <laughs> have, have you heard of that before? People being rotary hoed out the back. Uh, so I look. I assumed I, th- I went. I thought I'd misheard that. I went back and listened. I thought, no, okay. And uh, I assume this might be some Aussie sort of sporting <laughs> metaphor that I just hadn't heard of for getting rid of someone brutally. Um, yeah. But um, my extensive research for this, which was going up into the RNZ newsroom and asking Stephen Houston and Barry Guy, said, look, they haven't heard of it either. So <laughs> I think it's just a bit of. Um, Artistic license, if we yeah. can put it like that, from uh, from whoever was on the ZB sports desk that day. I don't even trying know to start something, a new trend, perhaps. Yeah, I might try and use it in a media <laughs> context um, before the end of the year. You know, listen out if you spot it, you win a prize. Yeah, it's five to eleven. Um, we're listening to Midweek Media Watch with Colin Peacock and Invercargill's best-known store H and J Smith closed down after more than a century uh, just last weekend. Huge news in Southland and actually elsewhere too. I, I, I'm a big fan of the Southland Tribune. The, the daily newsletter does, does very good work there. Our local news produced what uh, Logan Savory's yeah. the, the journalist. There yeah, he was a long term journalist at the Times and he mm. left to do his own thing. And it's astonishing what he does a daily update, a weekend sports edition. Uh, it's brilliant, really. And so he did a, a special edition on Friday. Um, of the Tribune, which was devoted to that closure. And I didn't actually know about it. Um, Mm. But then looked up, and sure enough, there had been stories earlier in the year it was announced that it was going to have to close after 123 years. Mm. And he said, look, it's um, it's lately transformed from a department store, these are Logan's words, into a museum-like attraction in its final days, people filtering through to get a last look, even though there wasn't 
much to buy. And then mm. on the final day it closed, this was Saturday, 3 p.m., it, um, it all shut down for good. Uh, the Southland Times actually did a terrific front-page feature on their weekend edition by long-serving uh, re- reporter and writer Michael Fellow. And uh, he said when the, when the doors close, there'll be a great deal of work for everyone. Uh, they'll have mm. to find the right place for all the historical stuff, the photos, the staff records, mm. uh, and all of that, and, and what they're going to do with a huge site, uh, which uh, the sale of which is um, on the back burner because I think it's an earthquake risk. So big story, mm. but he said uh, the, the store posted on its website, thank you, Southland, our shelves may be empty, but our hearts are full of gratitude, 123 years of support. Yeah, nice, nice front page yeah. article. Nice touch. Nice photos and, and detail from the archives. Yeah, for Michael's uh, story, they'd slapped the few in there. So some of the stars to visit, Queen Elizabeth II in 1954. Mm-hmm. That was the Gore uh, branch, which is also uh, closed. 1978, Loretta Swit, star of MASH. Oh, yeah. She visited. Lips. Who she yeah, but they had some excellent <laughs> photos from the archives. One was a bunch of young women on a start line in these kind of um, old-fashioned um, tops and britches, I suppose you call it, about to run along the beach. Bloomers, probably bloomers. Yeah, something like that. I don't know the right <laughs> terminology. Forgive me if I got that wrong. But the caption was this, um, the start of the ladies' championships for H&J Smith at Oreti Beach in 1930. It said the men's races were divided into married men and single men. It's unclear which group was expected to run faster. <laughs> um, and Michael actually added this little detail. He said locals should check their own photos. He said many... Is the uh, many's the southerner who's kept notable keepsakes from H and J's, among the countless Santa with child photos. Mm. You might want to check your own copies, particularly back from the 1950s, uh, where some of that vintage uh, has a Santa who'd forgotten to do up his fly, his undies <laughs> clearly in view. So, yeah, look look back. Those of you of a certain age, look back at your H and J Santa and child photos. You know, you, there might be something you missed. Well, I know uh, Wellington's lost Kirkcaldy and Staines. Um, Ballantyne's still going strong, of course, in in uh, Christchurch. Um, but was this story only in Vicargill and South? And did it make sort of national coverage? I think it was on the news. I think I saw it on one of the, the networks. Yeah, it did. Well, Checkpoint uh, did a piece on Friday. Lisa Owen interviewed the right. CEO. Got him to stand up at one point. He had to go and look at the... He was standing behind those pneumatic pipes. Oh, they used to put the receipts and the oh, change in. Um, in fact, Michael Fellow had a story about some guy who tried to propose to someone using the pipes and the, the thing was sent in the wrong direction to the wrong <laughs> person, which is a bit of a blow. But uh, TVNZ disappointingly had a bit of an online story with no pictures at all. And their previous story about H&J Smith, they just had scruffy street images from Google Maps. It was a bit disappointing and yes. maybe a sign that perhaps for some national media companies, uh, you know, that they're not perhaps the coverage that you might expect. It's probably disappointing for people who live in Invercargill. The ODT certainly did it well and their local reporter Mark yeah. John filmed a video and that also went on their South Tonight uh, local TV show because I think yeah. you're right if it was Kirkcaldy's in Wellington Ballantyne's in Christchurch there would be more on say the 6pm mm. news around the country yeah. Well Colin great uh, fascinating L- lovely chatting with you tonight um, and we look forward to your company once again on Sunday morning with uh, Jim and uh, of course we'll have Hayden here next week for another episode thanks so much Do you reckon we'll have a government by then? Oh <laughs> Going to roll the dice. Going to make As a bold I said prediction. at the start, the little country waits. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, let's let's go back to where we began. But yeah, it's like Jenna Lynch was saying, go and stand by your tellies. But I'd say, you know, stand by your radios because yeah. it's less effort. There's nothing to look at. It's more immediate. There you go. Thanks, Colin.